open your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Revelation chapter 21. And I'm going to read from verse 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. keenly aware of your self-revealed character of being the God of all comfort, that you promise to comfort us in all our afflictions, and we are afflicted greatly in these circumstances. And so I just pray, O God, that by your Spirit, you would help us to hear your voice in the midst of the clamor and the emotions and the grieving and the mourning that each of us in different ways are experiencing. And to peer over the horizon with you to that day where there are no more tears. And we shall be with you. And yet how your gospel informs that you are making new now and ready things for then. And so now I pray you would give us the gift of illumination to understand your word, you addressing us in this season and in this time, I pray. And thank you now. In Jesus' name, amen. The experience of grief is a part of a journey we take together as a church family. The intersection where faith comes together with grief in these kind of circumstances, it's hard. It's a, it's a terrible collision. It's messy. And when we think back as a church, there's things we've done like weddings and baptisms and picnics and prayer meetings, and now we walk together in this painful season. But we embrace the comfort not only of one another, but we want to embrace the comfort from God's holy word. In a few weeks, things will kind of return to normal for us. The waves of grief won't be quite as big. They won't be as near together. But for the Cato's, it's a long journey ahead. And as Andrew said, they will need your care. They will need your presence. They will need your love. And they will need your patience. They will need your touches in the weeks and months ahead. And even when we don't understand, we know this, that the Lord gives And the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And as Christians, we grieve with hope. Now is the time to mourn with those who mourn and to weep with those who weep. But it's also a time to remind ourselves of truth that comforts us and truth that points us to the compassion of God in Christ. 
And however grateful we are for Psalms like Psalm 46.1 you know, that talks about God is an ever-present help. Present help in time of need. How thankful we are for the times that the Spirit, if you just think back over this week, that the Spirit has interceded for you when your groanings became too deep for words. How comforting it is that we can come to a throne of grace. The invitation is there to receive mercy and to find grace for help in time of need. How comforting it is that we know He stands with open arms when He says, Come to Me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. Charles Spurgeon said that at times we have to trust God's heart when we can't understand and see the tracing of His hand. And those are the times that in ourselves we need to move forward with seeing with eyes of faith when we can't understand that which we are seeing. And it's only in glory, only in that day when we are with God, as this passage describes, that we are going to understand the full tentacles of all that has been done and why and how he is using this tragedy for good. But I believe that the greatest comfort we know particularly from the testimonies yesterday, was that Liz was a Christian. And we don't want to be bashful. We do not want to be bashful about the sovereignty of God in doing all this because he knows who are his. And he knows those who know his voice. He knows the number of hairs on our head. In Psalm 56, he talks about knowing and capturing our tears in a bottle. That uh, hallways of heaven are marked by angels it says they count our tossings one two three four five six seven eight nine ten amazing he knows when the sparrows fall he also knows the number of our days in psalm 139 we read your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them embrace that because God knew the exact days for Liz. She would not live one day longer than he had ordained and she would not die one day sooner than he had willed for her homecoming. And so no matter who we are, our time on earth in Psalm 90 says it's three score and ten and maybe by grace eighty. And so whether it's 19, 21, 70, or 80, the Lord knows each of us the days that were formed for us when there was yet none of them. God was not surprised that we were, we were devastated. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, He chose not to answer our prayers that we made before Him. He heard every prayer Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and then finally... He gave us His answer in accordance with His perfect will, purpose, and plan. Our hope in those three days eventually resolved into this, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we found ourselves with an unusual peace even in the midst of the pain because God had spoken and He had given His answer. It was a surprise to us, but not to Him. His precious child, Liz, is now home, and blessed be the name of the Lord. So I want to share with you today three
three comforting graces in this time of need, this time of grieving, and this time of mourning. I, I don't know, did my, yeah, they came. So the first one is this. We find tremendous comfort in the certainty of heaven. These are some of the notes I shared at the graveside service to bring comfort to them yesterday. The certainty of heaven is the first way that God comforts us this morning. And my prayer is just simply, I'm going to let the Word of God bathe your soul without a whole lot of comment. I just pray, Lord, comfort your people from your Word about the truths of the certainty of heaven. Paul says in Philippians, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He continues, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in Romans says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And in the Gospel of Luke, he says, truly, truly, this Jesus, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In 2 Corinthians, yes, we are of good courage that we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Ephesians, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These comforting words in his farewell address to the disciples in my father's house are many rooms. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you will be also. The certainty of heaven, a great comfort to our soul because there is gain in a far better place. There is becoming a citizen of heaven. There is being in glory. There is paradise with Jesus. It's finally being home with the Lord. It's being in a heavenly place. In John 14, it's being with Jesus in intimate relationship. The last stanza of Amazing Grace. When we've been there, heaven, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I want to create a perspective for you to how hard it is for us mourning 19 years of a wonderful Christian example like Liz. This reminds us we're going to be worshiping 10,000 years. And you know what happens when that's done? We go another 10,000 years worshiping. And then another 10,000 years worshiping. We've only just begun at 19 years. 70 years. It's a pin drop in eternity, but it was the pathway to eternity. So the certainty of heaven is the first comforting grace we can draw from God's Word this morning. The second is this, the reality of the resurrection. The second very great comfort is the reality of the resurrection. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verses 50 to 57. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit 
what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. And when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And then our dying bodies, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sting its power. Sin is power. But thanks, God. He gives us the victory over sin and over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ was the most remarkable person that ever lived. He did so many amazing things. This is in the Gospel of John, the last chapter. I think it's the last verse. He did so many amazing things that if they were recorded, the world would not be big enough to hold the record of him, but that didn't stop him from dying, and it didn't stop him from being buried in the grave. This day, Liz's body might be in the grave, but you know what? She is not dead. She is alive. In fact, she is more alive than we are here today. And there's a day coming when when we will see her in her glorified body. The disciples no longer feared dying for Christ's sake. And we too believe that death is not something to fear. Death no longer has a sting to it. The stinger has been pulled out. It has been conquered. Just like every other person that walked the earth, Jesus died and his body went in the ground. But like no one else, Jesus three days later came out of the grave and he didn't just resuscitate. It wasn't a near-death experience. He died, but the grave could not hold him. He was too powerful and he was too glorious. So when he came out of the grave, he came out with his glorified heavenly body and he wasn't just an improved version of the earthly form. He came out with a radiance that was just absolutely indescribable. And he didn't come out and say, well, my job is done. I'm out of here. I'm going back to heaven. He made it a point to stay and to appear to the disciples to show that he was alive. He showed him his glory. He stayed with them for 40 days. And he did this for two reasons. The first one is this. He appeared to them so that they would not fear death. They knew that because he rose from the grave, they too would rise from the grave. And because he rose from the grave, Liz will rise from the grave. And because he rose from the grave, we will rise from the grave. And that's why I said that her body is still in the grave, but she is not dead. She is alive. 
The second reason he appeared, he appeared to them so that they could look forward to what happens after death. So when the disciples saw Jesus, it changed everything. They saw something more beautiful than they had ever witnessed, but they weren't sure just exactly what it was at first. Jesus assured them. He came to them and said, put your finger here and put your finger, your hand in my side. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then he took and he ate broiled fish with them. He was alive in a glorified body. Now the disciples knew and so do we. And not only were they comforted, But they were emboldened. Their faith skyrocketed and they went on to change the world. And the reality of the resurrection caused them then to write about the certainty of heaven. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So we know Liz is in a far better place in heaven with Christ. And Paul instructs the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, he says, encourage one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. What words is he talking about? That whole section is about informing them, Jesus is coming back and the dead are going to be raised and those who have died are going to come and we're going to meet in the air. Comfort one another with these words, comfort them with these words of the certainty of heaven. Comfort one another with these words of the reality of the resurrection. Two comforting graces to our soul that speaks to us in times of grieving, in times of mourning. And lastly, the third grace of comfort this morning is the guarantee of all things being made new. The first is the certainty of heaven. The second is the reality of the resurrection. And the third is the guarantee of all things being made new. We circle back and just read for a minute verses 4 and 5 from our passage. He will, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. That's why I entitled this sermon, No More Tears. Because the promise is from a promise-keeping God and from whom all the promises of God are yes in Jesus, is that everything that our soul longs to be renewed will be renewed. It's the promise that God will be with us. And we will no longer need eyes of faith to see. We will see directly. It's the promise that all that is wrong here, that brings mourning and crying and pain, will be perfect There, it's the promise that God is making all things new. Now, in the Greek, this word making 
is not future tense. It's active present tense. And it means that we can experience here and now some of the kingdom that the gospel has ushered in. It's what theologians called already, but not yet. And it's that tension of already, but not yet. And I can be impatient. I can struggle at times with the already, but not yet, that comes with living between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. I hate death. I hate when young people die. I hate the pain it puts families through. I hate disease and sin and accidents. I think all of us would rise and say, I want things fixed now. And this passage says, already, but not yet. It breaks my heart to see God, see the people that God calls me as a pastor to care for suffering with hurts and shame and depression and addictions and physically broken bodies. I hate abuse in all its forms. I hate our adversary. tired of my own shortcomings. I'm tired of my own failures, my doubts. I'm tired of my own endless temptations. I still don't hate my sin enough. I want more people to know Jesus, and I want that to happen faster. I want the kingdom to advance faster, and honestly, I can be tempted some days that God hasn't made all things new yet. But part of me is being made new. And He is growing you and me into more of who Jesus is. That's where the Gospel is tucked away in these verses. He is making new. You see, sanctification doesn't happen in a vacuum. Primarily, it happens through our circumstances. And in the midst of our circumstances, we are left with choices of how to respond to who this loving, sovereign, all-powerful, all-wise God is orchestrating circumstances that we we don't see the tracing of His hand. Michael Horton said that the gospel is good news. It's not good advice. It's the good news that God will not leave us where we are. But He will continue changing and growing us all our days, making us new while He is also preparing a new place. And while we grow, we do this imperfectly. For me, the line goes like this. Sometimes it's like this. And then back up. We do it imperfectly because we trust Christ with an imperfect trust. But our confidence every hour of every day, of every moment, is that the perfect righteousness of Christ is credited to us even, even in our worst moments. Listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Already, but not yet. Already. But not yet. We are being made new here and now, and God is making all things new. And He ushered in through, ushered this in through the glorious and the 
transforming power of the gospel in our lives. Psalm 97.1 says that the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Psalm 98.1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. And what I love about these songs, when we have this grief and mourning that we're struggling with, is to be reminded that God is active and he's present and he's still full of steadfast love and faithfulness in our world right now, even in the midst of the grief, the sorrow and the loss. And He is calling you and me to sing joyful praises to Him, even in this day, not because of what happened and not inappropriately, but because of who He is and what He's doing that we see. Behold, I am making all things new. When we see from glory all the reasons why, we will worship Him for the prayers He didn't answer. We will worship Him when we see all the tentacles and all the things that He was working together that He has the power to work for good. Even from our eyes and our perspective, it appears to be a very great tragedy. And we worship Him. Job lost ten children. And at the end of chapter 1, he fell to the ground mourning and worshiped God. David lost a child that was born in adultery to Bathsheba. And it goes on to say that he worshiped God on the seventh day after the child died. Listen to this from Charles Spurgeon this past Friday as he was commenting on Romans 8.28. The Christian does not merely hold this as theory meaning God working all things together for good. But he knows that as a matter of fact, everything has worked for good as yet. The poisonous drugs mixed in fit proportions have worked the cure. The sharp cuts of the lancet have cleansed out the proud flesh and facilitated the healing. Every event as yet has worked out the most divinely blessed results. And so believing that God rules all, and that he governs wisely, and that he brings good out of evil, the believer's heart is assured, and he is enabled calmly to meet each trial as it comes. God is never before his time, and never is behind. So brothers and sisters, we comfort one another with these words, because it may seem, it may seem far off, but this word comes to us this morning and says he is. He is making things, all things new. And He gives us three comforting graces to comfort our souls and reassure us. The certainty of heaven, the reality of the resurrection, and the guarantee of all things being made new. So out of 19 or 70 years, that points to 10,000 and 10,000 more where we will be worshiping in the presence of God, there will be. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning. And Liz has left us that gift. She has reminded us of the already but not yet here and now that gives us courage, that gives us comfort, and gives us hope to press on 
in the grace of Christ until he returns. So I'm going to close with a post I saw on Facebook by Albert. Liz, we love you and we miss you and we will see you again waiting with you, sister, for that day he makes all things new. Let's pray.